0: Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast, with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy.
1: Oh, she's in difficulty there on the right-hand side of the French scrum, isn't she? In France, well, they've... Coughed up possession there as Canada look to bring it away through Marchak looking for Harvey. <laughs> Harvey's away over the 22 Giving chases my own. Harvey inside the Lunch Lunches away. Magali
0: Harvey. Can she go all the way? In at the corner. Canada's score hey! What a fantastic try! Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. Gentlemen, it's been uh, a little cloudy, a little rainy, a little bit of a thunderstorms out throughout Ontario, but uh, we are ready to get started with some uh, big news that has been kind of coming out in the last couple of days with uh, rugby returning and uh, a little bit of rugby not returning. Uh, but my first question to you guys is, how are you doing? How how are we feeling?
1: Hey, you you like actually acknowledged us as human beings, and this time we didn't just dive. I thought for a second you were going to dive just straight into it. I've been doing good. Tyler Ardron doesn't play for the Chiefs anymore, so I don't feel bad about them blowing a thirty-one to seven lead, um, which was actually quite an amazing comeback from the Highlanders. Um, but yeah, Ardron's not there, so I don't I don't feel bad about it anymore. I used to. I like about six months ago. I probably would have been like, oh, "I can't believe the Chiefs did that." But now I'm like, "That's kind of funny." <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: that's uh, that. You don't. You do Yeah, this is what happens when you don't have a Canadian on your team. It's like you blow, <laughs> you blow thirty-one to seven leads. Leads. At yeah. Time. See,
2: as soon as he's not got any players in red, it's all it's all downhill. Yeah. That's what I say.
0: He needs yeah. to have someone in red and white on his team for success. Yeah, anymore. exactly.
1: I mean, look, the the MLR perfect example. We've been saying that the whole time. First year champion, the team with the most Canadians. The second year, the team with the second most Canadians. Just saying.
0: Third year, I mean, the team that was in second place was doing pretty well with some Canadians. Even San Diego had a Canadian, so.
2: and they were playing yeah. in red, so and they're playing in red. Yeah, back. exactly.
1: There you go. San Diego had a Canadian. Toronto Aeros, mostly all
0: Canadians. I'm going to say that we do not have tinfoil hats on, guys. That scientifically, is, scientifically proven. We, we I'm pretty sure that the,
1: most of the springboks have
0: visited Canada at some point. I have no idea if that's true. Don't, I, have no idea I, that's I true don't think that's true at all. I have all. no idea if that's true. I wonder if FAFTA clerk has ever actually been to Canada. That is interesting.
1: Uh, but we are hey, looking- but you know what they did, though? They had beers with Canada before they won. Close enough. Oh, God. Yeah, it's close enough. I'm just saying.
0: I worry about Derek sometimes.
1: For being proud of <laughs> Canadian and pointing out that they had beers with Canadians before they won the World Cup. So by correlation, Canadians being around your team helps you to win every rugby championship.
0: I don't know. The way that that game went, it might have just been out of beers out of pity. But you know what? There's probably sportsmanship. We'll call it sportsmanship. You know, we are going to kind of uh, break down uh, first some big news coming out of, of Ontario. and You
1: haven't even given Stu the chance to respond with how he's doing. You're just like, I'm sick of listening to Derek talk about
2: how he's doing. <laughs> Stu, Sorry, how Stu. are you doing? No, Derek's ruined it. No, but <laughs> Stu, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, guys. You know, it's uh, you know, a bit shocked to have that thunderstorm roll in today. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it's been nice and sunny and uh, very hot and yeah you know just uh taking in all the news and seeing uh how long it'll take until we can get back to playing rugby again now Stu, as
0: as a you know a uh, uh you know immigrant or foreigner coming into canada's lands you know did people warn you about how muggy and
2: gross canadian summers get especially in ontario no, I got warned about the winter and actually one of the best bit of advice I got was that, uh, my visa, um, I could, I had like a year between getting my port of entry letter to come into Canada. And I said, well, you know, my port of entry letter runs out in February, so maybe I'll go in January and every Canadian said, no, go in the fall so you can prepare for winter. It's because ease yourself you not Yeah. <laughs> because you... Listen here, Brit. You don't... You think you know winter? You don't know winter. You have no idea what winter is. So... Yeah, you okay. know what's funny,
1: though, too, is people in the rest of Canada make fun of people from Toronto for thinking we know where winter is, too. Yeah. It's like, the rest of Canada is... My brother used to, like, live in New Brunswick, and he would send me pictures of the snowfall there, and it looked like he lived on Hoth. It was just, just mountains, mountainous snowbanks. Yeah. Unreal. My,
0: my dad, my dad's from uh, a town called Sault Ste. Marie, which is northern Ontario. But it's not even. It's not. They call it northern Ontario, but it's not even northern Ontario. It's like the best way to describe is central Ontario. Uh, Ontario's like, big. Ontario's, damn big. But uh, he, he would say that the weather there was just insane. Like the the, the snow was like. Over over your cars, like you had, like when you say shovel out your cars, it's like you are yeah. shoveling out and like moving the hills. Um, yeah. So yeah, we we don't really
1: compared to the rest of Canada, we don't even really know what a winter is.
0: But you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that stew uh, that they warned you about the, the winter because I think it's a it's a cruel joke that Canadian Mother Nature plays on its new uh, new uh, Canadians, like. They say, oh yeah, be warned about the weather but about the winter. But also it's going to be muggy as all hell, it's going to be hot, and all the beaches in the area are going to be always swamped, so you're always gonna feel semi uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so unless you're lucky enough that, you know, in the eighties your parents bought a cottage up in, you know, Muskokas or Cottage Country or, you know, Bob Cajun or whatever, you're you're gonna be Swimming with the rest of the people in Lake Ontario. So it's, uh, it, it is a cruel irony, but uh, wouldn't have it any other way. Not at all. But, you know, Ontario, especially uh, Rugby Ontario, have been uh, busy little beavers. Uh, they have announced their return to play program. Um, they re- released a 58-page uh, return to play pl- uh, plan, and it covers everything you need to know, as in what is COVID, how do you isolate? You know, it, it has a good amount of information and responsibilities to individual people. But, gentlemen, what I want to really break down is what does this mean to to rugby clubs? You know, what are what will the rest of the summer and possibly into the fall look like for guys that want to get back out in the pitch and start? Uh, you know. Uh, having some fun.
1: Well, I think the one big thing that through reading the 58 page document that Rugby Ontario kind of put out is they do keep constantly emphasizing that participation is voluntary and all practices and everything should be like treated as like optional and that, you know, you don't have to, obviously even if you're a, like your club is maybe allowed to practice or starting back up it's like i think they were very clear in making it that you don't, you shouldn't feel obligated to go to practice or anything just because you're the rest of your club is. And hopefully, people don't necessarily feel the pressure to do that if they're, you know, they say they're in a situation where you know maybe they have a health condition that'll make them more vulnerable to it, or you know maybe they have somebody living at home with them that would also be vulnerable. Um, so I think that's good, but obviously for some, like, I think we're kind of seeing it now it's like there's a lot of people that want to get back out on the pitch, and I think. I think what we got here is basically just rugby Ontario kind of laying the groundwork for how that could possibly happen, but not necessarily putting any strict like timelines on things, but it's a very detailed, it's an incredibly detailed document. They go into, there's a step-by-step guide on how to clean the ball like um, mixed in throughout it. So like, there's quite a bit in there and um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, COVID-19 has been a tough situation for everybody, and I think people are excited just about the prospect of getting back to some form of rugby, even though it looks like I mean, an actual full proper game might be a long ways off still.
0: Now, Stu, what is it... There's kind of a baseline that it seems that a lot of the province is kind of uh, going to be starting with... Um, and and the way that they've kind of framed it as if your kind of uh, if your health unit area is in phase three of Ontario's plan, you can begin at Rugby Ontario's phase two plan. What does that look like for players that want to get out into the pitch? Like, does phase two mean like I'm going to be able to you know start doing some tackling drills and we can have a scrimmage, or is it pulled back a little bit?
2: uh well it's still very limited at the moment so with phase one um which is what we uh people in say toronto and the areas that are still phase two are currently in it's a maximum of 10 people still two meter distance um time is limited to only 45 minutes and all activities have to be outdoors as well which obviously uh makes sense um one thing that uh, some people don't know is that even the washroom facilities can't be used um, in case of contamination. So if you imagine training in this current weather for 45 minutes, and then you'll be told, no, you can't use the showers, you have to go home and use yours. You know, it's a pretty, uh, pretty muggy situation, to say the least. Um, But uh, with moving into phase two, um, you can expand the uh, time played to 60 minutes. Um, You can get some washroom facilities um, and you can expand up to 50 people. So I think for... um, Obviously with having more players playing, um, from what I've seen, you're still limited to the number of how many players can be on a pitch. And it's uh, very complicated. I think it's like, if you are playing on the quarter of a pitch, you can only have a uh, five by five in training. If it's to half a pitch, it's seven by seven. And if it's the full pitch, it's only 10 by 10. So, um, but I'd say the biggest benefit is obviously, Um, having nearly enough your entire team back together so you can at least communicate with each other you can understand where you need to go and uh, what you need to improve on um, especially during lockdown or since lockdown so I'd say there's not that many big differences but with the exception of uh, the people involved, the max time you can train um but i still think that's going to make a significant difference until um, we reach the stage three of um the rugby roadmap map to recovery
1: yeah and no, just to clarify something that you said there Stu, the so clubs that actually have a clubhouse you're allowed to use the washroom you just can't use the change room so i guess that's you know, you probably want people to be able to use the washroom if they're at your club. But, um, the, uh, so you have to like, the idea is that everybody shows up dressed and ready to practice are able to practice and then can just kind of go home right away. Um, one important yeah, thing it must be the
2: British in me of uh, mixing up those words. Yeah, yeah, guess. yeah. But, well, I just wanted to, like just lost in translation.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like we all have we have you know. Like there's there's British English, which is probably the actual one that we're supposed to be using, because you know it's called English for a reason. And um, then there's uh, how Canadians and North Americans talk, which is uh, vastly different sometimes. Um, which is kind of interesting how that actually happens. So many different dialects for one language. But besides the point. Um, it's interesting too, like those groups of 10 people, apparently, you know, at one point in the, in the document, it does mention, um, the rule of two, which is kind of, I also think is very interesting name considering that's what Darth Bane based the sith legend and everything off of um but the rule of two is kind of like that thing where it's like you have to ensure that you have two adult coaches um for minors and stuff as well and you know that's like the coaches are apparently being counted in that number of the group, so it's like if the coaches, I guess, are going to be in somewhat of a close contact. Like, right? so if you have two coaches, that means you can have eight players, like within your like right. group, I guess, um, or at least that's how I'm reading it. If I'm reading that wrong, feel free to send a message to the podcast and correct that. But it it seems to be like so. I think that's part of it. It's like when you're saying it's like you can have ten people, and it's like ten people means ten people. Like if you have two coaches at practice, that means you have like eight players in that group or if kind of vice versa on that. So it's like 10 people's 10 people, right? Everybody, no matter what your role on the team is, it's like you kind of are able to spread COVID-19 at the same rate as anybody else. So that's something that we all have to kind of look out for when we're actually, you know, when the clubs are actually going to be like scheduling the practices and stuff, you know, it's, uh, You know, kind of like in reading it, going through like all the phases and stuff like it, you know, phase five is, you know, when we are able to return to full contact proper games. And that's even like you have to have a minimum of two weeks of full contact training before that even happens. And that so like that, that still seems like it's going to be a ways away. So I don't like I I'm not sure what the prospect of getting some form of club season through there truly is at this point in time.
0: Yeah, so the, it goes. We have phase three where essentially flag rugby is, is allowed. Uh, the interesting thing about that is you have to disinfect before and after every use. And I mean, if you're a smaller club in Ontario that doesn't necessarily have a lot of th- those equipment or can't afford to buy that many sets of flag rugby where, you know, every team's going to have a set, you no. Know, there are going to be extra costs that are going to be added up to this, so that's going to be a in very interested, you know, dimension that's going to be brought on to clubs where some clubs are already dealing with some financial problems. Um, now, my question to you guys, and, and it, it might not be well kind of thought out because it might have to do in part of, you know, the provincial government giving us uh, uh, the ability to move to the next phase, but in the document, does it say where or how Clubs can move from phase three to phase four or phase two to phase three. Is it all relying on their provincial government's phases or are they kind of independent?
1: I believe um, you have to be moving at the same pace as the government it was like, as the government opens up and allows you to do things then. Cause it even was like, they were kind of mentioned at one point, like club facility usage And, you know, there was, like, they put in a a disclaimer in it, basically stating that, you know, if the club decides to do something at their club, like some sort of social gathering or whatever, it's, like, any, like, it's, like, that won't, like, apply to, like, the Rugby Canada, like, insurance policy. Like, if you do that, like, if you do that and, you know, God forbid somebody ends up sick from that, it's, like, you're kind of, you might be on your own if you do it. So, it's, like, I think the rugby Ontario, like they're kind of like, I think kind of discouraging it. And I don't really know what that would be. Like if that's like, you know, if your clubhouse serves food, I guess maybe you can have like a patio open up or something. Yeah, Yeah. Like liquor license. Yeah, exactly. But like, I don't, but I mean, I don't, I don't know why any club would really want to do that. I wouldn't really want to be messing with it, but it's like, you know, I think it was also kind of indicating of like, you know, it's kind of interesting because obviously Toronto has, like the biggest population in Canada, as far as the city and the surrounding area goes. And the Ontario government, I think, is doing a smart thing, kind of treating Toronto different from the rest of the province where people are more sparsely populated in certain areas. But, like, I think that's kind of is showing that, like, I think Rugby Ontario is going to be following, and they do mention it a lot in this, is, like, they're going to be following those guidelines that are put in by the government and even that like, you know, our phase one or phase two of like reopening is kind of like the uh, government of Ontario is like phase three. So it kind of seems like everybody's just like the Ontario one kind of seems like it's like one step kind of behind the actual government of Ontario's plan, which is probably the safest way to go about doing that just to ensure safety for everybody. Right. Like you don't want to, like they, they do outline to like what they're going to do, like in the event that, you know, a player con contracts COVID-19 and like, it's, it's a pretty lengthy, like, I guess a lengthy procedure, um, to get people back on like the core back on the pitch after like, if you know, like there's gonna be like two weeks, like a two week ban or not a ban, but like you know players are gonna have to take two weeks off from anybody that might have been in contact. You gotta keep those those close, like those groups and stuff. everybody has to have like the same practice groups. You have to practice with the exact same groups of people, so hopefully they'll track a lot easier and stuff. but you know, there's there's a lot, I feel like, it's a very large document, as Dan mentioned, and there's a lot kind of going on, but I feel like the government of Ontario is going to be the, or the provincial governments in other parts of Canada are I think, going to be like the leaders. And then like the unions are just kind of going to be like, okay, now the government's now saying we're allowed to do this. So this is what we're going to allow you to do from like a rugby perspective. Um, Cause like right now, like right now too, it's like, we still have like, you can't have more than a group of 10 people like in an area right so it's like it's not like a rugby team is going to be exempt from being like you can have a group of you know, you can only have groups of 10 people unless you're playing rugby then you're allowed to have a group of 15 like that wouldn't like that wouldn't make sense from the government standpoint so i think that's kind of what we're looking at right now it's just going to be right. following the lead of the government and then slowly figuring out what everybody's able to do after that
0: right now Stu, you know you were doing a little bit of a a dig and a dive and a, and a research into uh some of the other union uh uh return to play programs how does rugby ontario's program compare to some of the other provinces uh
2: so i haven't um unlo- opened up any of the big documents like uh, derek has um so i've just basically gone off what's available on their website you know same as any um casual rugby fan would. Um, Rugby Alberta has a very simple return to play process, which is just a um, graphic image that says they've um, completed the government clearance to resume team sport and national and provincial return to play strategy has been approved. The next step would be um, those clubs adopting the national return to play plan, such as the um Alberta Wolfpack rugby as opposed to the Toronto Wolfpack. And and eventually in stage four there'll be a return of restricted rugby for registered participants. Um, and it's pretty similar to what uh, BC have done. BC have a more um dedicated web page um, but that in- they also include a rugby roadmap, which has anticipated timelines. So phase one of the return they had as March to May, the current phase they have, which is um, similar to um, what stage, uh, the Sages in other areas of Ontario is timeline as May to September And then the third stage, which I have as September to December, and the final stage is uh, January 2021. And just to be clear, none of this includes playing actual 15s rugby. So – and for that, they do have – something their final stage is called rugby revitalized that does not have a deadline because that is dependent on a vaccine or treatment um it seems from everything i've been looking at including rugby nova scotia and rugby quebec and um, they're similar to ontario they're at stage two of the uh return to rugby plan the only exception I found is Rugby Manitoba, which is currently at stage three, saying training and club games are now uh, permitted in the sense of clubs are now permitted to train, but it is non-contact. It can only be touch and flag rugby and sessions can only be one hour long and even then their stage four which would be the next stage for them is only rugby x sevens and tens and they do allow contact but only for short terms of period uh sorry shorter periods of time for contact and and their stage five similar to bc has no given date and would be the return to full rugby but it is also dependent on a vaccine or a standard treatment for covid19 so Uh, Ontario is basically at the same level as most of the other provinces of Canada. I'd say Manitoba is only the exception, and that's just because their um, COVID cases are so low comparatively. Um, But I'd say for anyone who's hoping to catch a game, uh, maybe in the end of summer, start of fall, uh, don't hold your breath. I don't see it happening unless it's touch or flag rugby, Uh, full 15s, I'm going to go out and say, don't expect a game until next year at the earliest. And even then, a lot of these plans are dependent on a vaccine or treatment being in place. So until that happens, uh, it looks like we may have a very different game on our hands. So,
0: you know, something that kind of just kind of popped in my head while we're hearing about this is, you know, Major League Rugby's, you know, time is for, for 2021 is still up in the air. We have got an official date, but we can make the assumption around, you know, the end of February maybe. You know, Start the MLR on- season? Yes. yes.
1: It'll be like February, like the weekend of like February, like 13th to 15th. Yeah. So
0: mid- mid- February middle date. February. I mean – We've we've already seen the past past uh, forty eight hours, um, the Toronto Blue Jays be banned from uh, from entering Canada. I mean, well, you know, the
1: teams they have uh, to play have been banned have from entering play, yeah. Canada.
0: They're they're not going to be able to play games in Canada. Is what I'm saying. You know, are we going to be seeing a similar case with the arrows? I mean, is MLR going to start thinking about maybe doing a bubbling tournament kind of deal or? <laughs> A weird idea that I, that you know maybe we're only going to be able to see flag rugby, pro flag rugby. I mean, like it might come down to that, right? Like, like if especially with the way that things are going in the U.S., like I I, I just I don't see hard contact ru- sports being you know not done in a bubbling situation. Like, you know the way that you know the NFL is, is gearing up and starting their, their training camps in a couple of days and I think they're planning on doing things as as normal as they want to make it and I don't think that I think kid you know guys are gonna get sick and so I, I just don't think that unlo- you know unless MLR bubbles, I just don't see how players aren't gonna get sick and they're not making enough money to you know not play it and you know kind of survive. This is their well,
2: livelihood. Well, interestingly, one of the places in the United States that would be great for a bubble, and has had very few cases of COVID-19, is Hawaii. So I'm just saying we're still within that 90-day window, <laughs> if anything changes that could be their trump card of saying like hey it looks like all your states are unable to allow sports but as is perfectly fine <laughs> uh, ufc have their fight island maybe hawaii becomes rugby island and that's where we uh, see all our matches take place <laughs> um i don't like uh, one
1: i think the 2020 mlr 2021 mlr season is way too far away to really speculate on that at all um I'm assuming they're all working on putting out a normal, a normal-ish schedule. Maybe they have got to have a contingency plan, but like, I'm not, I'm not even really sure. Like, how, like, the decision of like the provincial unions to be like, this is how we're going to return to play. Like, maybe, maybe if like Rugby Ontario is like we're not sanctioning a rugby game, um, maybe the arrows can't play it. But like, you know, it's because obviously they were still, th- we're still. There's possibly, like, there are talks anyways about playing an exhibition game in the fall, um, which, you know, I don't, like, I don't really know how any of the, to be honest with you, I don't really know exactly how any of this would affect the Arrows directly or any pro sports because even, like, you know, the NHL is coming back in Canada Right, which is technically sanctioned by Hockey Canada as far as like providing, you know, the resources to play the game and stuff. You have to be have that sanctioned governing body and stuff still, but like, like Hockey Canada is not letting other people play. Right. It's like, but the NHL is going to be allowed to play in Toronto and Edmonton. But it's not like they're being like, yeah, open up all the beer leagues. Let's let kids go back to playing minor hockey. So like, that's not happening. Um, but the NHL is still going to be allowed to play. And I wonder if like the MLR would probably have something kind of similar to the point of like, you know, like the Blue Jays are allowed to practice in Toronto, but like minor baseball teams, like, you know, youth teams and just like your summer softball teams, like they're not allowed to play right now. Um, but you know, so it's like pro sports, like even like right now we have the, you know, Toronto John Tory, he extended the ban on events and festivals through till the end of September 30th. And within his announcement of that, he specifically says that it's like this ban doesn't include professional sports. So I think like that's part of what we're seeing is like maybe like pro sports might get like, you know, in a weird way, like as long as you can prove that you're kind of doing it safely, you can get away like the NHL having a bubble in Toronto and Edmonton, or maybe even, you know, I guess in theory, like the blue, J- well, the blue Jays being allowed to practice at the very least in Toronto with like their full squad. And they had like some inner squad games at the Rogers center, but like, I don't, I don't know how that would really impact that. I don't think like, like if, Club level rugby isn't allowed to happen. I don't necessarily think that means major league rugby wouldn't be allowed to happen. If it, I mean, and like honestly, we're talking about February 2021, which is a long way off. And if the first, you know, four or five months of the COVID 19 lockdown and quarantine and everything has taught us anything, is that it's like this all changes really quickly. And, you know, who knows what'll happen over the next, you know, whatever this would be like seven, eight months here before the MLR season would actually kick off
0: you know we did say very similar things about the arc when covid first hit we said it's it's a little farther away so we don't know what's going to yeah, happen well, now it's, and but, it, it hit us like a sledgehammer time yeah, just yeah. flew by I, I i i see what you're saying Derek. and i, like, I think that, that that i again i'm being you know hyperventilist i'm i'm worrying i that's like, I don't, that's kind of my that, that's that's my thing That's my like, i i just I, I, think, I feel the troubles that other sports are having you know, like yeah, look it's at, it's look bad, at all the problems so. that are happening with MLS and, you know, there, there, there are hospitals down in Florida that are, aren't getting tests done or aren't getting the results of their tests because MLS players are getting priority. Like yeah. that shouldn't be happening. That's, that's super messed up. And, you know, and all the problems that major league baseball is having and, and like, you know, then you look at NFL where like there's players like JJ Watt, who's one of the star players in the league is like putting out posts like daily saying, we don't know anything. We don't know what happened if we would get sick. We don't even know if we're going to have fans in the stadiums. We don't know if, yeah, we don't know if we'll get cut because they're sick because their, their contracts are super messed up. You know, like they're like, I I just, I just see how little MLR is and like how limited their resources are. And I, and I just Mm -hmm. think to myself, you know, we were able to survive this because we were able to cut costs by like not having to play these games in 2020. I just, I, I, I don't know how much, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to afford what like MLSE is doing for the Maple Leafs and the NHL and like sanctioning off, you know, a part of Toronto so they could play, you know, like it's going to be, I, I'm going to be very interested in seeing what their plan would look like if a bubble situation had to occur. And I mean, again, you're right. Maybe by by February, cases drop. Maybe a vaccine is found. God knows what can happen. Crazier things have happened in, you know, it's just almost half a year. But like, I I just want that. I'm putting that little little nugget of thought into your guys' brains because I think that if we come to that situation, it's going to be a little gong show. Not a big gong show, but a little gong show.
1: Yeah, I think it's still just as far as if Major League Rugby would have to play in a bubble, I think it's just way too far away. I mean, like, if you kind of look at it through, like, especially in the United States, I mean, which, I mean, probably isn't handling it the best or maybe handling it among the worst in the world, but, um, like, I think, like, there's teams that are doing like youth camps and stuff in the summer. Like like the Houston Sabercats are putting out like that development program. They're putting out that they're going to be doing like combines and things um, for that development team. Right. So it's like, like there's other teams that could potentially be starting up or at least starting like practices and some other things it's just it's it's a bizarre situation just because clearly like i think for having like teams like the like the blue jays or like the arrows or even like the raptors obviously the nba is doing their bubble at disneyland or whatever um or disney world i can never remember which one's in florida and which one's at Cal Disney florida. world World is in florida okay yeah um thanks Stu. there we go that's um, that's why you're here. You're here at the correct place. Yeah. My amusement park knowledge is not the best, so that's what your you're Disney getting. geography. Yeah, exactly. I gotta. There's well, I mean, hey, you name two things very similar. It's tough to remember where they actually are. Um, but the point being is, like, I think it is kind of interesting having to deal with the border and stuff because obviously, like. Trudeau's keeping that border shut down. And I don't know, like I, I really kind of do want to know like what was said as far as the, to get the NHL to be allowed to play. Um, and I have no idea if that's just like, because maybe because most of the players are Canadian and most of them are already here or like during this, I have no idea what was the convincing factor. Um, maybe they just didn't like the fact that as far as the Blue Jays are concerned, it's like, it would be like a team traveling in and out constantly um because that's what major league baseball i guess wants to do instead of a bubble um but i I think it's just one of those things where it's like the situation seems to be one of those ones where it's constantly evolving we're getting new information every day and stuff and i think like honestly i think it's way it's probably too early to talk about you know if major league rugby would have to be in a bubble or like you know of even if, you know, whether or not, like, I think a lot of sport leagues too, like, especially the NH, like the NHL, NBA, NFL, MLB, like, I feel like, especially for like, you know, say like these playoffs, these midsummer tournaments that don't normally happen here, um, go off and they're able to actually make it all the way through them. And it's like, what's the NHL going to do? You're going to award the Stanley cup in October. And then what? start the season? or like you're going to give those guys like a month off or something, and then everything gets pushed back too. I feel like there's just a lot like – or maybe even if they have plans for, there's a lot of still just unknown factors. And I think like I wouldn't necessarily – like even like the return to play things are just like, yeah, like as Ontario opens up, we'll let you play more rugby. And as like once everyone's like, hey, like we're safe to play, we can do two weeks of contact and then we can get back to playing rugby. And, you know, who, like, who knows when that will actually be, but I feel like it's just, just kind of every, just like with everything, it's just, you're kind of just slowly going along and hopefully, you know, everybody just wears your, wear your masks, stay six feet away from everybody if you're out in public and then, you know, hopefully we can kind of get back to this sooner rather than later. But I don't, I don't necessarily think you, we got to go start looking at, you know, bubble scenarios for MLR quite just yet.
0: So let, let's move on, gentlemen, because the next little bit of news we're going to talk about is, is also very tied into this, this conversation about COVID. Uh, the Toronto Wolfpack, a uh, rugby league team uh, based out of Manchester but also plays games in Toronto and also has, you know, ties and, and, and stuff in Toronto, um, announced that they will not be playing in Canada in 2020. Now, uh, the Super League uh, over in uh, the UK and Europe is uh, uh, going to be starting up in the next couple weeks, um, and Toronto will not be playing any home games in Canada. You know, <laughs> was there really ever a chance that they could play in Canada? I mean, I see Derek shaking his head already. I mean, we just, like we kind of just already mentioned, the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, one of the m- more successful teams in Toronto historically was not allowed in, you know? So I I see very hard for any chance for them to get in. Stu, I'll go to you first. Having having teams coming over from the UK just wasn't going to work, right? No,
2: absolutely not. Um, For those that aren't aware, the UK is the worst in Europe for COVID cases at the moment. Um, I think it's currently fourth in the world behind the US, Brazil and India and this is an island of 70 million people and to be fourth is never a good sign so um, that being said there are measures being taken so all these games will be um, behind closed doors and I believe the Wolfpack had been in negotiations for having a venue in place to use if, um, and now is the case that they couldn't have any games in Toronto. But as uh, you mentioned, uh, the Canadian government has been very strict on um, who can come in and who is, who is not allowed. So obviously the NHL um, was given, but um, baseball was not. And uh, for Toronto, it would have been the same case as with the Blue Jays. It would have been another team playing each week and then flying out, which is how it has been for the past few years. Um, And then while uh, the UK has now removed its um, two weeks quarantine from when you arrive, Canada has not. So that would basically mean teams would have to arrive two weeks before they would play to then play to then fly back to the UK and that obviously was never going to happen because even in the current schedule that was meant to be played for 2020, it would be a Wolfpack play two or three games um, in Toronto and then they play a few games in the UK and then they come back for three more games in Toronto. And with everything going on, that was obviously never going to happen. So, no, it's, uh, no transatlantic sports will be played in 2020.
0: Now, my, my second question, and it has to do with the, the Arrows as well. Um, both these franchises have not played a game in, in 2020. Uh, the Arrows haven't played since uh, June of 2019, uh, when they last play, played uh, Rooney uh, in the, the infamous drop goal game. And the Wolfpack similarly had an infamous game uh, that they won. Uh, the, their last home game was in October of 2019, and it was the million-pound game that got them into Super League. You know, there are growing concerns that, you know, a roughly one-and-a-half-year period is going to have a negative impact on, you know, fans kind of forgetting about, you know, the, the programs and the, the the entertainment that those teams Uh, you know, lead and have, you know, Derek, is this a concern for you that, you know, the start, at least it's going to be a little bit of a slog getting fans back into the stadium.
1: Um, I don't think so, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think in a lot of cases it's just right now it's like, it's not like, you know, you're taking like a NHL lockout style hiatus or anything by, You know, leaving for, you know, just having a business squabble that, you know, takes over a year to solve. So you end up wiping out your season or you end up wiping out half your season. Um, It's a global pandemic, which, you know, there's there's not really a whole lot you can do about it. So it's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of leagues that have gone way longer than normal like it's it's weird even seeing like you know super rugby had to completely restructured into dividing up we have the New Zealand competition we have the Australian competition so you have those that have been divided up now um, and then, you know there's just a lot of leagues are just kind of like restructuring and figuring out new things right like we got the NHL has a 2014 playoff coming up which is something that they've never done before um, so I don't think not like I don't think not playing is going to be necessarily be like a negative for the Toronto Arrows, uh, just because it's like it's a circumstance completely out of their control. It's not like anyone's like, you know, it's not like you can be upset about the um, um, the team not playing for over a year because it's due to a global pandemic. Um, some of the interesting things, though, that so I don't like, or at the very least, I should say that I don't think it hurts either one of the teams because it's like, there's nothing you can do about it and everybody's hurting. And there's a lot of sports leagues that are going a long time without playing games. But I think the one interesting thing though, and is during this time, obviously none of the North American sport, league sport leagues have really gotten going Well, Sorry, I guess the MLS has started up. They have the MLS's back tournament, and that's as we've kind of alluded to a couple times. our has already had a couple of issues with games being postponed due to players testing positive for COVID or presumed to be possibly testing positive for COVID. Um, but like for the, but we've had a long stretch where there was no North American team sports happening prior to the MLS coming back, and even still, the MLS is the only one. Uh, and you know, during that time, it's like I've started to get texts from friends that have been like either watching super rugby or even the NRL kind of asking questions. Usually it ends up in a conversation of trying to explain the difference between rugby league and rugby union. Um, But it seems like at the very least, regardless of code people are Interested in watching rugby, or at least there has been, at least some of my friends that I know typically do not watch rugby games have started texting me, asking me questions about, you know, the Super Rugby game on the weekend or the NRL games or something that happened on the weekend too. And so hopefully people are actually watching rugby or more people than are watching rugby than normally would. Now, the big thing with that is if there are more people that are watching rugby, because now you know, you have super rugby, you have, or even you have the NRL that are available to be watched right now, while there's basically next to zero North American sports, unless you have the MLS, which I mean, you have the European soccer leagues are also up and running. So, you know, the MLS, I don't even know if they're like, I don't really know what their audience numbers are like, to be honest, I don't really watch soccer. So I don't really know a whole lot about it, but um if you kind of look at that and it's like right now, while there is that gap, it's like if more people are watching rugby, hopefully that means when like the Toronto arrows come back, more people are interested in watching them. They obviously have arrows in an hour has been aired on TSN every week. Um, Yesterday they had a double header with the, uh, the Austin game and the text and the Houston game. um, Just the first two rounds of this year so like that's something that i think hopefully they're building momentum on that hopefully it's reaching more audiences and you know hopefully even despite the fact that all the other sports are about to come back hopefully those people that watch those games or you know are interested enough to see that when it does come back they'll be excited for it and i think too like especially for like the diehard rugby fans the people like us probably the people listening to this podcast as well it's like I mean, that first Arrows home game after this is probably, I hope it's at Lamport, and then it's probably going to be the biggest crowd that the Arrows have played in front of in Toronto. Just because it's like, yeah, it's been over a year, and everybody just wants to get back to having Arrows rugby, um, which would be delightful to have. And, you know, if they have an exhibition, if they end up being able to play an exhibition game in, say, probably, I guess, October, October, would probably be the ideal time to do that now based on some of the other government regulations. Although, like I said, pro sports are exempt, but um, if the arrows are able to do that, I'm sure if fans are allowed to go, I'm sure a lot of people would go Um, that obviously if fans are allowed to go, is still a big question in a lot of places, but if fans are allowed to go by the time, say, if the MLR kind of structures the same way, say by like next March or April when the Arrows would be playing their first home game, if fans are allowed to go, it'll probably be a big crowd just because people will be excited to have it back.
0: Now, uh, and again, I I agree with you that uh, the Arrows have been done a really good job um, providing content for us to watch. Uh, So that that will be a lot of fun to kind of keep up with. And, And Stu, you know, do you feel the same as Derek? I mean, there, there, the arrows have done a good job, and I mean, the Wolfpack have been kind of quiet, other than, you know, starting to say that they're getting ready for starting their season again. Like, do you do you think that like I'm just kind of overreacting that that the fan, if you build it, they will come?
2: I think the thing is is that so us diehards, as Derek said, will we're keeping our finger on the pulse. We're going to know if, you know, they change the grass at uh, Landport stadium and how that's going to affect the, <laughs> uh, um, chances of, uh, the kick kicking from a tee. Um, the thing is probably that needs to have the focus address is more of the casual fan. And just, uh, over the past few weeks, the arrows fans have set up the arrows up, fan group on Facebook and that's currently, if I can get my numbers correct, at over 2,800 members and that's only within a couple of weeks. So there is definitely a fan base already in Toronto and if we can get everyone on that list to come along to the first game and you know, bring along two or three more people, then Lamport will be an amazing atmosphere for that first game back in Toronto. But to go back to it, the idea of having like casual fan being addressed, because when it came to things like the Wolfpack games, when um, certain tickets were, how should I say it, more affordable than others, (laughs) then there's obviously a big casual interest in the Wolfpack. And hopefully by 2021, you know, a treatment or a vaccine is in place so that we can guarantee um these games and in doing so i'd say in like the month leading up to those first games if there's a um, strong marketing campaign either from the arrows or from the wolf pack you can definitely rebuild that casual interest you can get people ready to go to these games ready to get you know like the home season ticket in place and come along and like remember the atmosphere of being at a rugby game so while obviously not having rugby in the city for a year and a half is a major downside it's still important to remember that there are fans out there fans that are listening to this podcast right now who are ready for when rugby can return for when that another day arrives.
0: So we're going to finish off with a a couple of little tidbits, news and notes about uh, some of the bigger news that had been happening in rugby Canada. And the first thing is that the Tokyo 2020 Olympic games seven uh, rugby seven schedule has been confirmed. Now, of course it is not happening in 2020. Um, The uh, opening ceremonies for the Olympics is the 23rd of July in 2021. And The men's tournament starts on the 26th of July to the 28th. And then the women's is the 29th to the 31st, uh, which sees the gold medal falling on the Super Saturday, which is traditionally the highlight of the games. Um, Now, of course, both the men's and the women's um, uh, Canadian national teams have qualified Uh, the women qualified by uh, placing third, I believe um, in in the correct season. And the, uh, the Canadians kind of blew through uh, the rugby America's North competition uh, by being top quality winning the tournament. So they are both in, which is very exciting. Um, Gentlemen are, you know, outside of Canada. And, you know, I, I think that I, I think I know your answers for both of you. Uh, but I want to hear it. Who who's the sevens team that you're excited to see this Olympics? Because, you know, we've kind of, again, with with COVID, we kind of lost a lot of the traction that the sevens uh, tournament or uh, circuit was kind of doing for us. I mean, Canada kind of finished off on a little bit of a high with that bronze medal game, and you know, the Springboks kind of lost after kind of being the top you know tier team. So, who are you excited to see kind of play? Um, at these Olympics after, you know, who knows what type of rugby they're going to be able to play up until the Olympics.
1: I think the answer to the question, which sevens team are you most excited to watch is always going to be Fiji. Um, No matter what the tournament actually is especially as far as the Olympic sevens Um, on the men's side. Anyways, they are the defending champions as well. They're the only, they're the defending gold medal champion. So that just kind of adds to it. They have a bit of a title to defend. So I'm sure a lot of eyes will be on them on the women's side. I'm definitely most excited to watch Canada Um, just because they have a genuine shot at a gold medal, in my opinion. And it's, you know, and hopefully because we've all seen, like how other sports in Canada can grow in popularity when you win a gold medal, hopefully they can win a gold medal and then that'll further grow the popularity of the sport in rugby, especially, you know, hopefully that means more, more women decide that they want to join up as well and go play. Um, And that would be outstanding. So that's kind of what I'm most excited about just because I think the success of a Canadian national team will just, skyrocket elevate the profile of the sport get more people interested in playing it and hopefully just grow the numbers and grow the game a whole lot more and that's not and obviously i hope the obviously i hope the canadian men's team wins a gold medal as well i just think it's like if you're gonna like if you were to bet on it happening you have a way better shot of winning your bet if you vote for the uh the canadian women's team and the canadian men's team but the better the canadian men's team does as well the more uh the better it is for the sport in our country
2: Well, for me, it may be a little bit biased, but I always enjoy watching Great Britain at the uh, Rugby Sevens. And um, everyone likes to talk about how Fiji won the gold medal, but I still think Great Britain getting to the final at all was a miracle within itself. Because for those that aren't aware, Great Britain only competes at the Olympics, any other time in any other year, and they're divided into England, Scotland, and Wales. So, um, Britain were, you know, not seeded because they obviously don't really fall into the mix. But they, in the men's competition, they finished top of their group, which also included New Zealand, which I think is something not to be overlooked. They beat Argentina in the quarterfinals in added extra time. They beat uh, the Blitzbach in the semifinals by means of a conversion, only to then lose to the then double world champions in the final. But obviously that doesn't sound as good as saying (laughs) Fiji won the gold. Um, The women's uh, Britain team, um, they also came top of their pool and a pool that also included canada and they beat uh, fiji women in the quarterfinals they then lost to new zealand in the semifinals and then in the bronze medal match lost to who else but canada so canada making up for that uh, initial loss in the pool stage with the bronze medal match and So yeah, so maybe, yeah, it's it's a little bit biased because obviously I'm from the UK, but uh, the Great Britain team is one uh, I want to see. Also, I just like getting kits, so I'd like to get another Great Britain uh, Sevens kit as well as the Canada Sevens kit Uh, (laughs) on top of that. Um, That said, uh, I've just had a quick look at the team list for the... 2020 now obviously 2021 uh olympic sevens we are still one team short for the men's team and two teams for the women's team yes so it's not all determined yet there may be a dark horse that competes in the final olympic qualification tournaments that go on and just shock the world and win that gold medal we don't know yet
1: yeah, I think, uh, I think, to be honest, that'll be one of the interesting things to see what happens in the build-up to the tournament is, one, you have to still round out some of the qualification process that hasn't been able to happen. And you don't, if it's not able to happen, how are they going to maybe necessarily randomly choose which teams are going to get in or have that draw but also for like just for the national teams and stuff as more countries kind of keep their borders closed or maybe they'll get some exemptions for like essential travel or what or whatever you have to actually kind of do for a, to compete in an international sport but i feel like man like borders borders are going to be staying shut all over the world from um, from international athletes so you know a sport like sevens and the sevens world series here it's like it's obviously it's all international teams traveling all over the world but i mean like f1 is kind of doing that obviously they have a bunch of of drivers from all over the world and they're still you know traveling to the various racetracks across um across the globe so i guess you could technically do it um but Obviously, nothing's been sent yet, so that's something I'll, I'm kind of curious to see what World Rugby ultimately decides for like how much of a warm up or how much of like a say like almost like a preseason for the Olympics these uh, teams are going to actually be able to end up getting.
0: I and I think it'll be uh, we we have the reprochage that that those teams will will come into play, and I, I think it's going to be very interesting on um, what. But- what the seventh circuit is going to look like in this final year. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of players have made those jumps and it's to, to their sevens programs to have a chance to play in the Olympics. So it'll be very, very interesting. Um, as for me, I am excited to watch, uh, the women's Canadian team play. Uh, they are just when they're on, on, on their game, they are amazing to watch. Um, on the men's side, I'm actually quite excited to see what the, uh, U S team can do. Uh, you know, they've got some players on their team like Danny Barrett, Perry Baker, and I mean, Carlin Isles is just, you know, a legend, fastest man in rugby. Um, if they play the way they're supposed to, and, you know, guys like Ben Pinkelman, you know, step in and, and, and do his job, I think that they they can challenge for a gold medal because they've, they've shown that they can beat everybody, you know, but uh, sometimes it's what's in between the eyes that that stops them. So it'll be interesting to see how they they turn out. Well, gentlemen, we have a little bit of a shorter episode, but uh, I think that as the weeks go on, we'll be having some interesting and exciting things coming up. So um, if anyone else is interested in... in, um, Listening to some of our past uh, podcasts, you know, we break down some of the, the signings that the arrows have made and, and signings that have happened in M L R and around the globe in Paris with and, uh, in France and uh, uh, Tyler Ardron's departure from uh, Super Rugby. Um, and we also had a really really good conversation with Brian Ray a couple of weeks ago. So uh, go to our Instagram, go to our Facebook, go to our Twitter, Lulu's Rugby it has links to all of our previous podcast so please feel free to listen and gentlemen enjoy this week enjoy the the disgusting humid weather because it doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere